You may be seated, brother. All right. Good morning, everybody. Welcome, those of you who are watching online. It's good to have you with us this morning, as always. So it's good to be back with you. Thank you, Pastor Hamp, for filling in last week. It's always a blessing to have uh, one of our men do that. And um, I was telling the first service, it's always more challenging for Hamp to fill in because he's got to play that get fiddle over there and uh, also preach. And so uh, you wouldn't want me to have to play that and preach at the same time. You'd all quickly exit the building. So we understand that well. So thank you, brother, for for being willing to do that always. Um, Debbie and I were gone just because we had a, a had a wedding to do, and we were suffering horribly. <laughs> I mean, I mean, somebody had to do it, right? We were down on the beach at Cape Hatteras, and had a wedding on the beach. It was just gorgeous, literally like almost to the wall, maybe a little further away. At least it seemed like it was that close. The ocean was right behind me, and we had the couple right in front, and the people gathered around. And I was doing my best not to yell at them. I didn't have a PA system, and so the wind and the waves. And I told them ahead of time, I said, I'm going to try not to yell at you. (laughs) But I was having to speak pretty loudly so people could hear around, and then it was a little bit of a challenge. But it was just a gorgeous week. That was actually a trip that was set up a lot of months ago before you all graciously gave me the month of July off. And so I couldn't get out of that and um, didn't want to, really. Uh, who wants to, to get out of something like that, right? So uh, it was just a precious time. So thanks for giving us the opportunity. So you're stuck with us now um, to the grind. We're going to put your nose to the grind until we have time off again, whenever that might be. I said to Hamp just a couple of weeks ago that after this, we'll be here for a while. He says, yeah, right. <laughs> but hopefully that's the case. Anyway, let me give you a couple announcements. Most of these you're already aware of. Um, If you've been watching and you're getting Pastor Hamp's emails on Thursdays, you see these. A couple of things I want to highlight, though, is um, the Pregnancy Center Banquet is coming up on October 22nd and 23rd. You know, we supported that for many years now. The 23rd is also, it's nice that there's two dates, a Friday and a Saturday, because the 23rd is our fundraiser, the Sock Hop, okay? So we don't want to forget about that. Uh, come for that uh, fundraiser for the shoebox. You've been getting emails about that from D and a lot of information going out about that. It's going to be a fun time uh, as we do our best to collect these ministry items, uh, send them out for kids. And coming up also, there's an uh, opportunity to hear from another person who's received one of the boxes. And so that's always a blessing. As you know, Carolina, a couple years ago, told us about, was interviewed on television, how she, when she was in Honduras, got one of the boxes as a child. And so these things really do get to the kids. And so uh, that's a real blessing, and you'll, you'll hear about that from those folks. If you're interested in helping June Rodrigo, you know, we still help uh, uh, fund them as well, the Philippines for Christ ministry or the work that he does there. He's in the States raising money or trying to get boxes of food and supplies sent to the Philippines as things have been really tough there for family members and the church people especially. Uh, just see us afterwards and we can give you more of that information. And then specifically the 40 Days for Life is going on and that's why the banquet is happening. Uh, Moira Michaels is in charge of that this year. Not the banquet, but here making sure people are aware. And she's going to be at the pregnancy center out praying on certain days. So if you want to if you want her contact information to go and pray with her, I know she would greatly appreciate that. And that's going to happen all through the month. There'll be, it goes until the end of October, uh, the 40 Days for Life does. And so um, if you have interest in that or want to help support that, please let us know as well. Now, um, you know over the past several weeks we've been praying for several needs here at the church at this time. And so um, 
Praise the Lord, much of the nursery work is being filled uh, by those of you who are willing to and have the ability to sit in there with the children. We're still working on a children's ministry director. However, we have somebody who's greatly interested and, and shown great uh, enthusiasm over that. And so we're going to be meeting with that person this week, hopefully, maybe if not next week. Um, then we still need someone to come alongside Pastor Scott to help him out with the youth somebody to lead the 20-something group, and then we're talking this week also with somebody who's interested in the social media part. If you have any interest in some of these other areas, please let us know, okay? But I've asked Brother John if he'll come and just pray over these things as we've been doing, and I put him on the spot just like I did Jeremy this morning. And so well, these are men of God, and they're gonna, and John will just come. They're listed right here, Brother, under ministry needs if you just need a, a refresher there. Thank you for your help. Thank you, John. I'm sorry. I apologize to those of you online. We didn't uh, give a microphone to Brother John so you could hear, but certainly we were praying just for those needs that I mentioned. If you just enjoy those with us, we'd appreciate that very much as you go through your week. So uh, thank you, John. Appreciate that very much. All right. Well, let's um, turn now, if you will, to Matthew chapter 10, and let's stand together as I read chapter 10, uh, verse 16 through 23. Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 23. 
All right, if you don't have a Bible there, it's okay. We'll put this on the screen for you. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in the synagogues. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for to be given you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. But it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. But whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. Amen. All right, please be seated. Now, last time you'll remember, uh, a couple weeks ago when we started chapter 10, we learned that basically it is divided into sets of three, uh, but we could probably underline the description of the instruction chapter if you wanted something to remember by uh, a way, uh, something to help you remember what the chapter is. And those three divisions, or those divisions, the chapter is divided into three sets, which started with instructions specifically for the 12, but we also elaborated on the fact that it could be instruction to us as well. And I would say each of these really are instructions that cross over into our lives also. But in the writing that Matthew's given us here, it was first the 12 and then for the future disciples, and then the latter section that we'll see next time would be for the present disciples or those of us who are living right now. But again, all of this crosses over in various ways. And and I say that because it's important for us to understand that a lot of times, or there are at least various places in Scripture where God gives to us this back-and-forth look from the current setting to the future setting. One of those places is in uh, the book of Micah, chapter 5. Don't turn there. But just in three verses, between verses 2, 3, and 4, God does this through his prophecy. In fact, in verse 2, you'll see that Micah, he doesn't name him as Jesus, but it is the foretelling of Jesus' birth in Bethlehem. And then Jesus as ruler over Israel, and then even the ruler over all of the earth in verse 4. And so this, what we call telescoping, if you will, kind of this picturing of what's happening in the current moment on into the future happens over in Scripture numerous times. And and I, I say that because it's important for you to realize that as you're looking at this particular section once again, the Lord is giving to us through Matthew this picture of the current setting for the disciples, but then again for those of us who are in the future or even beyond us now into the time of the end of, of the life of man and when Christ comes again. So I've titled this message Instruction for Future Disciples. Okay, Just kind of a tongue-in-cheek a little bit there, uh, future from the 12, but also including the 12. And as I have been doing, I like to break this down in ways that are manageable. Uh, we'll talk through this quickly, but I've, I've selected five different areas in my mind that seem to make sense to me as what the Lord is saying to the disciples that I hope will make sense for you in instruction. Number one is... The world is dangerous, so you have to have the right attitude when facing it. Okay? The world is dangerous, so you have to have the right attitude. And where does that come from? Look with me at verse 16. Jesus says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. 
Now, I really think the Lord is dealing with attitude in this particular section because as I looked at this and I thought about what the disciples have just been told by the Lord, that the power he has given to them could cause them to be a little arrogant by chance. Now, I'm speculating here. I'm not saying that would happen, but we certainly have seen thus far how the disciples have taken a posture in some places where they thought they were better than one another, or at least we're going to see that also in the future. If you remember back to verse 8, just for clarification, Jesus gives to them power to do three things, basically. Heal the sick, raise the dead, and cast out demons. Now, if that's me... In my sinfulness, I may have the tendency to think I'm a little bit better than the next guy. And so I think the Lord is cautioning them here to remember that they're, first of all, sheep. Okay? What an interesting picture. Almost in, in my mind, I hear the Lord saying, I've given you this ability, my power, but I want you to remember without me, you're nothing. Okay? And I don't mean that in a demeaning way, but just understand that without me and my power in you, you are powerless. Sadly, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, especially if you've been in ministry life as leadership or in some bivocational form or just as even as a volunteer, you know that people can often get uh, somewhat arrogant in their serving of the Lord. That does happen at times. Sometimes people take on a position and they become dominant or whatever it might be, and arrogance comes to the surface. I remember some years ago, uh, there was a traveling quartet, a very well-known quartet in the southern gospel world, and uh, they had a big bus, and they'd been on television and on the famous shows, and they were passing through our area in a couple days, and so they called us and talked to our secretary at the time and said, hey, we need a place to minister on Sunday night, and we'd love to come and serve your church. And so we kind of quickly rallied together and got the word out and really didn't have any time to do so, but we said, sure, we'll do it, and we'll make it a Sunday night. Well, they got here, pulled up in their big bus, and they began to unload, and it didn't take long at all to realize there was a different attitude than what I was expecting. I I was expecting a humble, kind, just gracious kind of an attitude and they came in with just the opposite in fact as they were setting up i began right here on this stage one of the guys was setting up here and another one there and and uh if i called the name you would recognize who the group is so i'm not going to do that Uh, but i remember saying to one of the guys who was one of the, the players so how did you hear about us i mean we're small church you know and you guys are traveling through and he said well you called us like that and i was like no we really didn't And it just kind of began to be more and more of that kind of thing, almost an irritation from them as they even had to be here. It was just obvious. I came within that close of saying, you know what, we're not doing this. But people were already here and they'd made plans to be here. And anyway, I just learned from that and and many other situations in life that sometimes Christians who call on the name of the Lord can get a little arrogant when they're given a role or a title. And so maybe, just maybe, The Lord is helping the disciples to remember who they really are after he's given them such ability. And I would say we also need to remember that we are powerless in ourselves without the Lord. It's a good word to us. We may have a lot of talents and abilities, but that doesn't mean anything if it doesn't come from an understanding that the Lord has given us the ability and the privilege really to serve him. That doesn't make us weak, really more valuable in the hand of the Lord. 
to our sinfulness, it sounds like a message of weakness. Right? A lot of people will say, I oh, know, I, I like to, to think about the power of the Spirit and how much God has given to me and done for me, and that's all right, that's good, there's nothing wrong with that. But there is a sense in which we have to be very careful. Even the, Paul, the Apostle Paul himself said of himself, when he was talking of some personal issue he was struggling with. Some people think it was an eye issue from his blindness on the Damascus Road. We really don't know for sure. But he says of himself in 2 Corinthians, Most gladly I will rather boast about my weaknesses than, that, than so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak then I am, in, I am strong. So that's the Apostle Paul saying, hey, listen, I understand the importance of weakness and remembering that this is all from the Lord. And so really attitude is everything. Meaning specifically in this case, as he's talking to the 12, as much as they'd be tempted to be great, they really need to be very, very careful. And I think it's a very clear warning here. Now, to make his point even clearer, the Lord says this, I'm sending you into the midst of wolves. Now, that's an interesting picture, isn't it? Your sheep, boys, let's get this, okay? This is kind of how my mind works with this. Your sheep, and I'm sending you into the wolves' den. Can we talk about that for a minute? There just doesn't seem to be something that's going to go well about that, right? I mean, it just doesn't seem to match very well. I don't think the Lord at all was trying to frighten them, and I'm elaborating this in a different way. I think he wanted them to understand the danger and be very clear about what they were facing so that they would look to him in every challenging situation that they would find themselves in. Basically, he wanted them to understand they're not going to escape, escape being hated by the world. Okay, That's an important point. You and I need to remember that we are not going to escape the world's hatred of God's people. He needed them to know that. They needed to be very clear about that. And so their task was to go into the wolves' den, even so, so that the gospel message, the message of Christ and the message of the kingdom that he had been proclaiming would be delivered to the people who would be the ones who were in great judgment of their sin. And that's all of us, right? It was certainly them. Who's going to take the gospel to them if the sheep don't take the gospel to the wolves? So the point for us is it's one thing to sit comfortably in our church sanctuaries and worship the Lord and enjoy the fellowship that we have with one another. And all that's great. We need to do that. And we do that regularly. But we also need to remember that God has not just called us to a life of ease. God has called us to go out into the wolf's den, if you will, remembering that these this is dangerous. We've got to be careful about what we're thinking and what we're doing and and, and know that our job is to get the message to the world who needs the gospel. In fact, the Lord's final instruction in this very book is going to be go. Don't stay. Don't just enjoy what I've given you. Yes, enjoy it. Yes, be pleased with the filling of my spirit in you. But I really want you to go. Go give the message. Unfortunately, the church's message is often come. Come be a part of us. And that's not wrong. Don't hear me as saying that's wrong. I'm not saying that at all. But too often our message is we enjoy our fellowship, so I want you to come to us. 
But the Lord has never commanded that. He has commanded, yes, I want them to be in the fellowship, but I want you to go get them. Go out and do what I've called you to do. Even sadder, though, on top of just come to us, the church has often said, and we could argue whether this is the true church or not, when you do come, you can live basically any way that you want. Okay? And I say we could argue about that because some people will use interchangeably the word church in a way that's probably not a real reference to the true church because the true church is anything but just come live the way you want to live. My sinfulness would be on the beach this morning. Now, by the way, we did go to church on Sunday last Sunday. Cape Hatteras Baptist Church. How about that? We remain true to our calling. <laughs> but no, seriously, I mean, we, Debbie and I have grown up on the water, so to speak, in our married life. And we had a friend of ours that was with us one time, and we were teaching him how to water ski behind the boat, and just a dear brother. And he said at one, he's, a, he's actually been in ministry all of his life. He's a, a worship leader at a church in Tennessee. And um, he said to us, as he's out there, he says, you know, if I weren't a Christian, this is where I'd be every day. The temptation is real, right, for all of us to have an easy life and to make it easy. But Jesus is saying, look, no, you need to first understand you're sheep and I'm sending you into very dangerous territory. So you really need to be wise. Notice what he says. His message is go and you've got to surrender everything by going, being willing to surrender everything that's important to you. Luke 14, 25, large crowds were going along with him, and he turned to them and said, now try to picture this in your mind if you're one of the people in the crowd. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Boy, that's a tough statement. That's tough to digest. Verse 33 of the same chapter, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all of his own possessions. Total commitment is what the Lord is talking about here. With the right attitude, with the right heart. Matthew would say in the next section, in fact, I think I'll leave this for next time because this is where we'll be in 34 and 39. He gives very clearly a message from the Lord about this very same thing. Life is not, as a Christian, all about just warm fuzzies and thank the Lord I'm saved and now I don't have to do anything. Life is about remembering that, yes, I'm saved and I have the Spirit of God in me, but I have a job to do. I have a role to play. I have to be a part of what the Lord has called me to do, which is to go and tell people the message. But it's not a message that people want to hear. And so the tendency is to water it down. To say what I said just a second ago is that you just come and be what you want to be and everything will be hunky-dory. But the Lord didn't want his disciples to miss the, the life of challenge that he's calling them to. And the only way was for them to get it was to tell them what was coming, which is it's going to be tough. It's going to be wonderful, but it's going to be tough. And it's the same thing for us. He wanted them to have a right attitude going into this making sure that they remembered what they were really supposed to do. And so does everybody who is called by the Lord. Meaning we shouldn't be surprised when the, Lord, when the world takes the posture that it does against the church. Now, as much as he's reminded them that they're sheep going into the wolf's den, he also says this, your attitude needs to be like serpents. Now, you probably know that throughout history, serpents have been pictured as those creatures that are wise or at least cunning, uh, calculated, 
They have the ability to discern, at least it seems like. The Lord uses the word shrewd here, which is basically a synonym for the things that I was just mentioning. Perceptive, discerning, you know, the world, living in the world takes great discernment. Uh, Clever, sometimes. Perceptive. And those are just some things if you look up the word and some synonyms for them. And so I think the Lord is saying, if you think about a wolf or a sheep going into a wolf's den, you can imagine how important it is to be shrewd, right? I mean, if you get that picture in your mind, now we're not sheep farmers here except for Miss Ellen, so she would understand this better than we are, we would. But to take a little ba-ba-ba and say, now little deer, here's what I want you to do today. Here's the pack of wolves and I would just want you to go have lunch with them. And the sheep would say, uh, did you mean I would be lunch? Right? Well, that's the tendency to think. I mean, that, that's how we would think, right? So the Lord is saying, yeah, that's the picture. They're going to eat your lunch and you'll be lunch if you're not very careful. The last thing a sheep would want to do is purposefully irritate or ignite the emotions of a wolf, Right? And so if you get that picture in your mind, the Lord, I think, is saying when you deal with the sinful world, don't set out to just inflame them. You're a sheep going into the wolves' den. So be careful with your tongue and with your attitude. Be careful about the choice of your words. Your words should be welcoming and inviting, clear, truthful, accurate, all of that without question, In fact, Paul says in Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love. We've talked about this many times before. Many times we are, as Christians, very truthful. We're ready to just hammer the truth, but we have very little love behind it. Or we're all loving that we don't want to offend anybody, and we leave out the truth. You see, that's why the Lord is so perfect in what he says. Remembering that we were just like that. We were once the wolf, right? That was us. We were just like that before Jesus saved us. But the point is, too many times once we are saved, we forget that. And we go out into the world and we inflame the world against Jesus. We give them reason to be inflamed because we're careless. And we use words that are hurtful and cutting instead of drawing, instead of pointing to the Savior and saying, look, I was just like you. Maybe not necessarily exactly like, but you understand the point. But my Savior, the Lord Jesus, rescued me, and he'll do the same thing for you. That's the message the world needs to understand. It's no wonder the church is often so hated. Instead of proclaiming a message of forgiveness and and salvation to sinners, we often proclaim the fact that we're a little better than you and you may not really have a place here. Now again, don't get lost in what I'm saying here because the truth of it all needs to be mixed with everything that I'm saying. The truth of the gospel is that we are all sinners, right? There's not one of us that's better than another one. We are all guilty before a holy God. We need his salvation. We need him to rescue us. It's not for us to point to someone and inflame them and ignite their emotions to the point where they turn against us. Now that could happen and potentially will happen. That's what the Lord is saying. But we need to be careful. Again, too often I think that the people of the world hear the message and the wolf is excited and inflamed. 
fact, Debbie and I had an interesting conversation with a young lady while we were on the beach. We were sitting there minding our own business, really struggling, um, really, really suffering, so challenging. I mean, the weather was like 77 degrees. It was one of those days where the beach doesn't burn your feet. You ever been there? Yeah, I'd never been there. <laughs> Most every time I have hot spots on my feet. But beautiful day, and a young lady just walks by, and we began to strike up a conversation. It turns out she came from a very, very difficult background, and she was very open. She's a believer, and she was just excited to have come out of, in her own words, a legalistic background to the point where she felt shunned and condemned in everything that had happened in her life. And she really had a very tough background. But her goal, and we could tell this through her wording to us, was to share the gospel of Christ. It turns out she was also in the same church we were in that Sunday previous to us meeting her. And so we had a great conversation. But through our conversation, she did look at Debbie at one point and says, I can tell by the way you're talking, you're not one of those Christians who would just shun me as a, as a person who's made a lot of mistakes or shun the world. Now, we may or may not agree with the world's mindset, on what I'm saying here. But the reality is that's the way the world perceives things. The world looks at us and says, I'm not as good at them, and so I'm just going to attack because what they're really after is attacking me. But see, that's not the way a sheep is to be. Smart, yes. Wise, yes. Careful, yes. To the point, yes. But always loving. And so really, again, what I'm saying, they just need to see Jesus in us that they can be saved no matter who they are, what they've done, where they've come from. Jesus has a place in his heart for them. But they have to come in repentance. All of which why I think the Lord says the attitude has to be like a dove. So he's given us these incredible word pictures. And he says, you must be like a dove in your attitude. Probably because doves were known as a symbol of purity. The people would have understood that. And that's pretty much the illustration of a dove, meaning as children of God, we're to be pure, pure in our souls, pure in our spirits. We're always giving the right picture of Christ in us, not accusatory, but always striving to give the message of truth. We don't back off of the truth. We don't say that, oh, salvation or repentance is for some people and not others. No, we give the clear message for all people out of a very humble heart, again, knowing that we're the most wicked of all people. That's what Paul said of himself, right? First Timothy chapter 1, he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Listen, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And that's the world, isn't it? And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's why he came. And he says, of whom I am foremost of all. For this reason I found mercy so that I may be the foremost, Jesus Christ, as he might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Listen, Paul simply saying, you want to see the picture of wickedness and sin and the aggressor against God's people? That was me. But he saved me. And if he's able to save me, then he can save anybody. Now, some people might say, well, you know, that just, that sounds a little too weak for me. That sounds like an excuse. I don't think we should be 
excusing things like that so much. Well, that may be, but I think what the Lord is really saying is here, look, I want you to be honest, be real. Some of our greatest testimony in the face of the world is to say, let me tell you how bad my life was. Let me tell you how bad I messed up. And yet God was faithful to let me be a part of his family anyway when I repented of my sin, when I saw it and I acknowledged, I agreed with him. That's what repentance is, right? It's confession. It's saying, Lord, I agree with you. You're right. I'm wrong. And that's what he looks for, for all of us to say, Lord, you're right. I'm the one who's wrong and I need you. And he's faithful to accept anybody who will trust him that way. Now, as I say that, this may be a surprise to some of you, but the reality is the world doesn't need for us to tell them that they're sinful and they're wrong. They already know that. Now, I'm not talking about the people who just ignore the the point. In the heart of every man, Romans 1 tells us, is the knowledge of God. A sinful person in this world, which is everybody, knows that they are sinful. They can deny it all they want, but internally, deep down, they know. Why else would they be fighting against the things of righteousness? They feel it. They sense it. They know it. Nobody has to point out to them that they're wrong. Now, again, don't miss what I'm saying here. I'm not doing a double take here on what I just said. Yes, we are to give the message. The reality is it's not for us to wag a finger in the face of the world and say, you dirty rat. It's for us to say, you and I are separated from Christ until we repent and then he accepts us, right? It doesn't matter what the situation is. If we bring them in or we go to them, however you want to look at this, because we are there with them in our sinfulness, but we're showing them the picture of how God can wash our hearts and they can have the same thing, okay? So they don't need to be told all of the things that we often get lost in. And that's tough. <clears throat> so secondly, and this, this will go much faster now. Let's want to get through that. But let's look at the second part here in verse 17 and 18. At the same time, the Lord says in his instruction, don't always assume the best about people spiritually. Now, this is part about being shrewd. Okay. Notice he says in verse 17, but there's the conjunction. You're doves. You're going into the midst of wolves. Be shrewd, but... At the same time, be aware of men. Be aware of men. What do you think he's really saying is here, I don't want you to be naive. Don't be naive. I mean, it's a great quality to think positive and think the best in people, and we want to do that. In fact, we should always go into a relationship assuming the best of people. But in the back of our minds, we need to remember that the heart of man is desperately wicked. And unfortunately, many Christians are not discerning about spiritual matters. Again, I'm not, talking about, I'm not talking out of both sides of my mouth here, and I hope you don't hear it that way. I think the Lord just wants us to remember just what I said, that men are sinful and they are naturally antagonistic to righteousness. That's going to be very natural for them, making them very easy pawns for Satan to manipulate. And I think the Lord is throwing this caution out there to say, just beware. Don't be naive. Be very careful in your dealing with people. So the Lord is saying, beware. Notice this word, beware. He's saying, not everyone's going to treat you with evil intent, but many will. There are those who are going to do that. And some, in fact, he goes on now to say, some will even persecute you. Well, how are they going to do that? Look at the verse again. They will hand you over to courts and scourge you in their synagogues. 
He's talking about the religious zealots, the people who are following religion instead of a relationship, the legalist. Now, he's specifically referring to the Jewish court system here. He's not talking about the government here yet. The courts refer to the Jewish court system. They were the ones who upheld the system of law that all started back in the days of Moses. And so as a Jewish person would break the religious laws, they would go before the courts of the Jewish leaders and they would judge the cases and even punish them, which is the word scourge here in verse 17. It was those Jewish religionists, those people who were the ones who beat and crucified Jesus in their so-called judicial system, although we know that that was a mockery as well in that particular moment. They were the ones who mistreated Paul so badly and had even Peter and John beaten and put in jail. And there have been many other people who were the religionists, if you will, all in the names of God or in some spiritual uh, genre have risen up over the years persecuting Christianity. You could go as far as witch doctors who in the name of some spiritual realm have have arisen and and they come against the things of God or the, the shamans or the shamas or the Muslims or anybody like that who have in the name of God come against Christians. In the church of the future, the Lord is saying, and his telescoping of all this timing is saying even the church of the future is going to, pers- I mean, the, the religionists of the future will persecute you as well. And of course, we know that wasn't the 12. They didn't know that, but we know that. And that's why we have this focaling, if you will, focusing, if you will, of, of the, the prophecy. <clears throat> Beyond the religious persecution, we do have the persecution by the government. Look at verse 18. You'll be brought before governors and kings... For my sake, as a testimony to them and the Gentiles. In other words, I have a purpose in this. Your role is to be the sheep in the wolf's den, but you'll even be brought before governors perchance. And we know that as Christianity grew, that certainly happened. More and more nations fought against the things of God, as I just mentioned. But you remember the whole Roman Empire? They got so sick and tired of even the Jewish nation that in 70 AD they destroyed the the temple and and killed all of the priests. Well, all of that was an attack against God. And then as Nero rose to power, he attacked all the Christians. You know, we've been through that before in a historical context, treating them as second class and enslaving them and even murdering them, all because of their hatred towards God. In our day and in the past days of, of life, we've watched governments mistreat God's people, China, Russia, North Korea, Middle East, Don't have to look very far. If you pay attention to the news at all, you know this. All because of a hatred toward the Lord. And that's what the Lord is saying here. The world is going to hate you. Be ready for that. In the last days even, that persecution by the government is going to get worse and worse as the Antichrist grows into power. And we see that in Revelation 13. Now, as he sets the stage and gives those instructions, so he's preparing their attitude and their mindset, he also says this in verses 19 and 20. This is our third point. point. Don't plan or pre-plan a defense for yourself. Now, that seems very counterintuitive too, doesn't it? I mean, first of all, we're sheep going out in the midst of wolves. My flesh already doesn't like that. And now you're telling me don't plan anything in my defense. Notice what he says. When they hand you over in verse 19, don't worry about how or what you are to say. It'll be given to you in the hour that you are to say that. Now, more than likely in this telescoping, he's talking about the time of the tribulation. More than likely, that's what the Lord is dealing with here in 19 and 20. 
But he says to them, I don't want you to worry because I'll give to you through the power of the Spirit what's necessary for the moment. You don't need to conjure up something and have something in your heart and mind about what you're going to say. Just trust me and I'll give to you what you need. And if you've ever been in a situation where you were kind of pressed for some answer it's, and you didn't have time to prepare for something and you were kind of caught off guard, uh, we're told to be instant in season and out of season as Paul told Timothy, right? But uh, there are times where we find ourselves like that. And it's a beautiful thing as the Lord brings back to our minds the things of God, the things of his word, so that we can give some kind of answer. And that's the point, though. The Lord is saying is that as much as you find yourself in these places, I don't want you to try to defend yourself because that's what the self wants to do. Right? If somebody comes against me, my natural tendency is to try to find some way to fight back. Now, it may be a loving fight back, but I want words that are going to do the job. And if I get overwhelmed by something somebody's asked and I don't have an answer for it, then I become frightened. And I'm speaking for humanity here, God's people. And a lot of times people will say, oh, no, I can't talk to so-and-so about this or that because they may ask me a question I don't have an answer for. And so instead of engaging, they just back up and don't say anything at all. Well, the reality is we need to have an answer. We need to know what we need to know in that moment. Here the Lord is saying, I'll give you the answers that you need. Okay, so let's stay on that for just a minute. Also this last week, my wife was reading through a book that was given to us by someone that we know, and and it was kind of a challenge on some real heavy theological positions. And we were talking and working through this and the subject matter and, and understanding that, you know, hey, we as God's people need to have clear answers for the objections. We can't just dismiss it and say, oh, you're a bunch of lunatics. We've got to be able as God's people to have what they need to know. And that's very important. Remember Dr. Falwell said many years ago, you need to know what you believe and why you believe it. A lot of times people grow up in Christianity and they just believe something because that's what the preacher said. Well, that's good, great, but that's not really what's the most important. We should know what we believe because we have an answer for why we believe it, right? Very, very important here, which tells us through all of this, it's imperative for us to study. Now, God is saying, in the moment, when it comes right down to it, I'll give to you what you need to know. But the reality is, I believe the Lord is also saying, in the meantime, study, study, study. I remember when I sat in a class one time and I was under the weight, which I was not a good student, and a test came, and you remember that blank paper that they put in front of you? It's got the questions there. Some people just... Like this, and I would go panic, 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 panic. And I'd say, Lord, please help me remember the answers to this question or this test. And I hear God in my mind going, I'll help you remember everything you have studied. <laughs> no, wait a minute, Lord, you heard me wrong. But you see, it's a great point, right? And I think what God is saying is, as you... Now, these 12 would have gone through Hebrew school. They would have been well-versed in Scripture. Not perfect, but well-versed. And I think the Lord is saying, as you study and you get in the situation, the Spirit of God will bring back to your mind the things that are truth. But you've got to study. You've got to know the Word of the Lord. 
That's very, very important. We can't just come in here every week and say, oh, I'm so glad that Jeff's here teaching Sunday school. I'm going to learn a bunch of stuff. Pastor Bruce is preaching. I'm going to learn a bunch of stuff. That's awesome. But in the meantime, Monday through Saturday, you need to be going, let me study, let me study, let me study, let me study. What is God saying? So that when you get in those situations, when you're in the face of the wolf, you're going to be able to say, here's what the answer is, at least to the best of my understanding. All right, now, moving on quickly. Be aware, number four, that even those closest to you will potentially persecute you. Now, this goes with the other part, and it should be without saying, but let's just look at it anyway. He says, brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. Boy, that's a, that's a mouthful, isn't it? That's not something that would be encouraging to hear as you're being sent out. I mean, again, not one of us would want to have to stand before any boss and say, I'm so glad you're on the team. Here's what I'm doing. Well, if you got that kind of instruction, you'd be going, uh, where do I mark through my name? I don't want to be a part of this. That's what the flesh says, right? But the Lord's being very clear with them. People, even the people you love the most, will potentially hate you. And we've seen stories like this. In the Muslim world, that certainly happened. In the radical worlds, people who have denied Islam have been persecuted by family members. You can go online. I don't encourage you to do this, but I've I've seen this. And you can see things where people have come against People in horrific ways, all in supposed the name of religion. And it's going to happen. If you follow the Lord long enough and you persist in doing what God has called you to do, as a, as a follower of Jesus, you will come against people who don't want to hear from you. And specifically, I'm talking about people in your own family, potentially. That happens. I remember some years ago I was asked to, well, no, I was not asked to be a part of that for this very reason. I'll tell you the story. Uh, My mom's sister passed away, and um, Debbie and I went to the funeral, and I remember thinking, now's my opportunity when the family gathers around the the grave, because that's where the bulk of the, the final part was done. And you've been in that situation probably where you're standing around the casket and, and the family's kind of doing the last messages that they want to say. And I just felt compelled as the little cousin, okay, I'm grown, married, family, but to my cousins who was the, the sons of, of this woman, I, I felt compelled to say some things about the gospel. And so I just began to talk as it was opened up and I shared the gospel and how important it is in all these ways that you've heard me say and just what the gospel says. And my cousin just shut me down in the mid-sentence and said, yeah, 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 that's what she believed. And I was like, okay. That's going to happen. You say, well, that's not the kind of persecution a wolf would give you. Well, yeah, it is, because a wolf wants to attack a sheep, right? So we just got to know that there are going to come times where we have to stand for Christ, and even family may not want to hear it. And so we have to make a decision. It's a test, really, in a lot of ways. The Lord allows persecution at times to test us. Are we going to hang in there? Are we going to be a part of what he wants us to do? Are we going to be faithful? And so they're necessary. 
And that really brings us to the final point here, which is don't quit. Notice what Jesus says. It is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. Now, don't be confused by that. He's not saying you you have to get to the very end to be saved. There's a double meaning here. We are saved the moment we trust Christ as our Savior. But the people who are saved are the ones who fulfill their salvation, if you understand what I mean. I think that's what he's saying here. Nobody wants to be persecuted. Nobody wants to go through that. But again, persecution is one of the surest ways to prove where we stand with Jesus. And often when we're in that situation, the temptation is to quit. It's hard enough when you know that God has called you. But it's quite another thing to live through something that is very challenging. I love what Paul says here in Romans 8 as he thinks about all that he's been through. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation? Will distress? Persecution? Famine? Nakedness? Peril or sword? Verse 37. In all these things we overwhelmingly are conquerors through him who loved us. And I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present, things to come nor powers height, nor debt, nor anything created will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, I bring that up because I think I, I hear the Apostle Paul in the background as the, as the newest of the members of the disciples in the biblical sense saying to the churches, listen, hang in there. Hang in there even though persecution comes from even the ones that you love the most. The ones who are the most tender to you and the ones that you potentially have lived your lives for as a parent or a grandparent, hang in there because there's nothing that will compare to the glory that awaits us. Paul was a man who lived that. He struggled through a lot. And so he wants us to remember these great things. And finally, and this is not necessarily a point, it's just to close the thoughts out. I think the Lord is saying here he takes no delight in us being persecuted. Notice what he says. Flee that place and go to the next. That's a very interesting statement to me, I think, because sometimes we have the attitude that, oh, this is, this is what God has called me to. Uh, I'm just stuck in this, and, and kind of that woe is me. And, and sometimes God calls us to stay in a place where it's really challenging and tough, and, and there's not a lot of growth, and there's not a lot of what should be going on in a in a way that you might see around you. It's very tempting in that way. I think God is saying, I'm not asking you to just stay in a place just so you can say, oh, I'm persecuted here. No, the real issue is our job is to get the message out. And so he says, when you are persecuted, don't just stay there and try to endure all of that, but go, get the message out. I've called you in this time of life to get the message out. So don't quit. And many people have abandoned Christ, have abandoned ministry because it was tough and they were rejected. And I want to be very sensitive here. I understand how challenging this is because God is not easy to serve sometimes. God asks of us challenging things. It's wonderful. There's nothing better than serving the Lord, but it can be very challenging at times. It can be very lonely. When people hear the message of truth and they don't respond to it, it's 
It's really tough. And after a while, it gets exhausting. It even gets discouraging. And quitting looks really, really good. A different life looks really, really good. But we have to remember that we were bought with a price and the Lord's given us a job to do and he's given us instructions and he's already told us that we're going to be with him. And so we're not to quit. We just keep going. Notice his plan. You will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. In other words, this is the plan, guys. Now, they thought he was coming back right away, but I think he's telling us straight up, hey, look, you want to know what the plan is? Here's the plan. Go. Share the message. Be like sheep. Remember you're going to the wolves. Be smart. Live pure lives. Don't quit. This is the plan. And it's going to be that way even on through the tribulation until he comes again and reigns. Okay? So the beauty of it is the Lord's not left us without an understanding. He's just told us, make sure your heart is right through it all and that you're living the life that I've called you to live. Okay? All right. Well, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the truths of your word, uh, albeit they are challenging to hear and even counterintuitive to our normal way of thinking. I don't think there's any of us in the room this morning or even listening online that would say, I like that plan necessarily. It's not very comforting to think about being a sheep going out into the midst of the wolves. But Lord, what we are thankful for is knowing that you've already conquered everything. You've done the work. It's all finished. But in the process of your finishing, you've called us to serve you in this way. So help us to go with loving, kind, gracious words that are truthful, that are not backing off of the truth, holding on to the truth, not watering down the truth. But may we not be the ones who inflame on purpose. May we be the ones who lead people to salvation as examples of those who have been saved and forgiven. And so, Lord, uh, teach us these things in our hearts as we go through our days that we might be a great witness for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.